Hi, I'm Yukon President Thomas Katsuleas, and you're listening to 91.7 WHUS in Stores. You are listening to Agents of Change. My name is Mukunde Sibatla. Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Vinayak Mishra. And it's really, really good to be back. Uh, I know we were off on a hiatus uh, within the last year. We we were intending to record a whole second season, but uh, due to the circumstances, we weren't able to. But we do have a very, very special guest today, uh, President Katsulias. Would you like to introduce yourself? Oh, thank you very much, Makund and Vinayak. It's uh, President Tom Katsulias. I'm delighted to be here on WHUS 91.7. <laughs> It's, it's really nice to have you here. And um, I'm sure, I guess, uh, I, I wanted to um, touch on the fact that a lot of people know you to be a president, a mentor, uh, even an advisor, but um, I'm most intrigued by your extensive research background. I, 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 I saw that you, you've, your name is on at least 200, 250 publications. Mm -hmm. And Vinayak and I are actually really, um, passionate about research. We, mm -hmm. we both are honor scholars, and we just wanted to know a little bit about your research background. Oh, well, thank you for asking. Yeah, it, you know, I began my career in, in higher education, uh, leading a group in um, electrical engineering and applied physics in an area called plasma-based particle accelerators that, that um, I was one of the early researchers in. And the idea was to uh, take these very large particle accelerators, which are used to smash atoms together and try to understand the fundamental constituents and forces in, in matter, uh, and get them to a smaller size so that we could make them more powerful and continue the progress in this fundamental discovery process. And the, the current large accelerators are, the largest is at CERN in Geneva, it's 27 kilometers around and it crosses into two countries. So we were looking for technologies or approaches that would miniaturize that by factors of 100 or 1,000. And wow. what, what um, um, a number of people uh, had realized, including my thesis advisor when I was a PhD student, is that by using a ionized gas or plasma, one could set up very large waves that could accelerate particles at a thousand times the, the rate you could um, in a conventional metallic uh, accelerator, which was basically a long, narrow microwave oven, if you will. Um, and uh, but you know if you put metal if you put something in a microwave oven particularly metal you may have noticed starts to arc and spark <laughs> that's exactly what happens in a large particle accelerator so the idea was to take advantage of that breakdown from the beginning use this ionized gas which couldn't be destroyed and then we discovered we could set up these very large waves and we could make uh, subatomic particles like electrons and positrons surf on those waves at, at, at very high rates and that was my research field, and I, I worked on a number of ideas. One was called the surfatron, which was kind of a cross between a cyclotron and, and ocean surfing, <laughs> uh, getting particles to cut across the face of a wave using a magnetic field to make them cut and prevent them from reaching the bottom of the wave and, and continue to gain energy. So that was, that was one of the things. The other thing I worked on was something called a plasma afterburner, which was an idea for um, taking a very small section uh, of plasma, nominally a meter or a couple meters long, and putting it at the end of a several kilometer long accelerator to try to double the energy of that accelerator. So the first, the first part of the accelerator produces a beam which hits the, the plasma and sets up this huge wave. And then you get a second group of particles to surf on that wave 
at a very high rate. And and we did an experiment on that uh, you know, a number of years ago now where we demonstrated the proof of concept. And we, we did that at the Stanford Linear Accelerator Center with a collaborative team. We started with a 45 uh, GeV beam, G is a GeV, a billion electron volt beam. And we were able to roughly double its energy to 85 GeV in about one meter. So it took two kilometers to reach 45 <laughs> billion volts and then only one meter to, to reach 85. So, so fascinating. Um, so it was, it was really an exciting time and, and that research continues without me and <laughs> I still have a number of friends and, and, and colleagues uh, trying to advance that field. It's, it's exciting to see the progress they're still making. Definitely. And it's exciting for us to hear something from a different field than what Mukan and I uh, uh, kind of research in. Um, well, we're both in biology, but I'm, uh, that's physics. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So Yukon uh, is um, uh, extremely resourceful and supportive of um, and is a, a research one institution. Um, why should uh, students kind of get involved in research, uh, especially like during, you know, COVID-19 restrictions? And what are kind of the different um, ways that's like younger students, freshmen and sophomore coming into school uh, get? How can they get involved in research? Yeah. You know, and uh, that's a great question. And I'll start by saying that you, you you are somewhat involved in research by the fact that you're here at UConn to begin with, actually. Mm -hmm. um, it means that even in the class classes you take, you're learning from those who are creating new knowledge mm -hmm. rather than those who are passing it on. And that's really an important distinction for you at a time when the world is changing so fast that someone who's passing on information from textbooks can't possibly keep up. The textbooks aren't written yet for the things that are going on in society, whether they be, you know, what's going on with COVID or whether it's uh, anti-black racism and and the surge and uh, the resurgence of that. And so, uh, you know, having scholars who are making those discoveries gives you the insight in your classroom you wouldn't have, uh, you wouldn't otherwise get. So, so. In some ways, students are already engaged, but there's a lot of opportunity. Many faculty are looking for help in their labs, and it's an opportunity to participate in something in a team project uh, to contribute to the excitement of discovery of, of fundamental knowledge for humankind mm -hmm. and um, a, a chance to learn what you like and don't like. You know, the, um, research is, is, is the excitement of the eureka moment, but it also <laughs> requires the patience of Job because it, it takes a very long, you spend a lot of time being stuck oftentimes. <laughs> right? So, so it, it's got its, its pros and cons and it's a, it's a great opportunity for you as an undergraduate to find out is this a path that would be of, of satisfying for you career-wise? Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's definitely cool how you mentioned um, students are able to learn just by being on campus. I know some of the classes I've been in, um, we kind of uh, have speakers that come in, uh, grad, graduate students right. and uh, researchers who or come STEM in. STEM seminars. STEM seminars. And yeah. it's kind of just like, uh, it's just molded into the campus, you it's, know, no matter where you go. It's integrated into the curriculum. Yeah. That, and that's the way it should be. And, you know, hopefully you get a chance to visit um, you know, the, the uh, Biodiversity Archive, for example, we have one of the greatest collections, uh, you know, in, in, in the Western Hemisphere. And, and um, uh, you know, the chance to see that as, as part of a class, for example, if you're taking one in biology, it's, it's unique to being at UConn. You wouldn't get that in a non-research university. Definitely, yeah. Absolutely, and um, at least from from my time uh, at, at UConn, I've uh, today I hold a position as a peer research ambassador at the Office of Undergraduate Research, and I've just come to learn how much research is truly a pillar of education at UConn. Mm -hmm. um, 
but but obviously within the last year, uh, there have been many many hindrances, many adversities due to the COVID nineteen pandemic, mm-hmm. and we know that uh, at least as students, Vinayak and I know we must find creative ways to foster the same leadership. Uh, that we did pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to ask, um, what is your advice to students currently involved uh, in leadership on campus? And for students that are completely virtual across the globe, uh, how can they navigate these obstacles? Yeah. Now, I, I think it's... Uh, the- let me make a comment about how impressed I am with the student leadership during COVID. And let me also acknowledge that uh, it, it is really di- much more difficult uh, virtually to to uh, uh, to demonstrate leadership and to, to learn leadership dur- during this time. But I'm, you know, there are the advice I would give students is still the same. So I've kind of answered three questions in one. Now let me expand on those things. Uh, so first of all, I'm you know ex- very impressed with how entrepreneurial our students are, you, yourselves included, included <laughs> creating this podcast, Agents for Change, as an example of an entrepreneurial leadership activity that you've ad- adapted and adopted to a virtual modality. And I'm so impressed with the things I've seen and uh, the number of apps in particular that students have created, uh, the entrepreneurial startups around um, creating apps that help um, fellow students with whether it's mental health issues or connecting to um, to uh, social contact and friends and, and you know it's just the diversity of that and the impact of that has been really impressive uh, and I'm also impressed that you know uh, organizations like uh, USG and PERG have have continued uh, in a kind of mixed in-person thing that you know the PERG did some really rich programming around the presidential election, uh, which I think really enriched the intellectual environment of the campus, and it was really student-led. And it was a mixture of in-person activity, you know, physically separated, de-densified, and, and uh, virtual activity. And I thought they did a, a fantastic job. So uh, it is still possible. And um, my advice is the, is the same. It's, you know... Um, the best thing you can do is if you're part of a of a project or a team or an organization is to try to see how you can be most helpful, how you can add value to that to that activity. Um, and it will be recognized. And believe me, there will always be a thirst for that value add. the next the next need for leadership will come along and someone will say, Wow, Mukunda and Vinayak were really helpful with that. I bet they'd be <laughs> helpful with with this. We need someone who can do this, and you've already demonstrated you can through being helpful in another uh, venue. So, so that's that's my advice in terms of leadership is is try to help make your your team, your organization, or your individual project better, and people will recognize it, and you'll get an opportunity to take the next step and have a, a bigger leadership responsibility the next time. Definitely so, and I think UConn with its uh, the many creative resources that they have on campus. It kind of enables students to be able to do that. Um, yeah. Just like Mukun and I were able to do agents change through WUS or... Yeah, um, through, through, yeah, yeah, idea grants and things like that. Idea They're, grants and stuff, yeah. Those are those are pretty distinctive parts of the landscape that I'm really proud of that, that UConn has and, and they support students' ability and to, I think ex- the, the, to explore. Also the, Sorry, the adaptability is extraordinary. I mean, um, I know, yeah. especially working in the office, uh, surf and idea, we've been able to adapt to all these, like our yeah. modalities. I remember last summer, um, I had plans to, to come to campus and uh, it was like an immersive, like full day research mm-hmm. opportunity in the lab, hands on mm-hmm. every day. All of that um, had to had to put it in the shelf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. Right. But, but yeah, despite that, I would say in spite of that, um, 
I, I came to like understand that the entirety of last summer, I was able to strengthen and build my foundational knowledge in, um, in neuropsychopharmacology and uh, really right. get to know my mentors and the graduate students in the lab. It was a time to, to um, build, build relationships, professional yeah. um, relationships. So I think and networking as well. So this is kind of what we're going for now. We never intended for Agents of Change. Uh-huh. This podcast, it was always supposed to be intended to be a permanent resource, but um, I would say that it's even more appropriate and reflective of the times now. Yeah. It's interesting that you're in, in an area where you understand adaptability at the neurophysiology level, right? This is a neuro- neuroplasticity at its best, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Real yeah, the, the need to adapt. Uh, most of the rest of us are, you know, as physical scientists or engineers is just, uh, yeah, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. And we kind of know that. And, and uh, it, it's a great lesson to learn. Definitely. And it's, this is more recent, too, where um, Muk and I are now working on our um, uh, podcast symposium, you know, in a couple of weeks. And we've kind of uh, originally wanted it to be an in-person event with mm-hmm. uh, um, networking was a major part of it. But now, since everything is virtual and our restriction of only being able to have 25 people in a room, right. um, it's kind of uh, made us change completely in the last, uh, like, five to six months. Absolutely. Kind of, yeah. Absolutely. Right. And... Um, it's amazing that the idea grant and like um, Office of Undergraduate Research and everybody on campus has been super supportive of this change and helping us, um, you know, right. uh, mobilize the community online. Right. I think you could, you could choose to look at the downside, which is, <laughs> I guess, 25 people in a room, like how much yep. can you network with that? Right. But the, the huge upside to this is now we're bringing in uh, podcasters from the UK, from other time zones. Oh, we're yeah. We're able to definitely. kind of align it and make sure that everyone finds a time that works for them, that's convenient for them. Yeah. And we're able to amplify our audience so that we're not only benefiting the Yukon community, but people like in doing field work outside of the Yukon community. Oh, uh, you, you know, that's such a uh, profound insight. There are opportunities in terms of, uh, re- you know, reaching connect- connections to thought leaders uh, and um and insight that we've never had before. I, I there was a student. I, I think it was a call, a friend of yours who 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 ended up connecting you to me. Who was right. reaching out yeah. and interviewing. Uh, you know, I, I, do, what's his name? Uh, Oreo. 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 Hey. That's right. <laughs> Oreo. Oreo reached out to me, and it, we had this really interesting conversation. He interviewed me, and then and then he said, "Well, I got to go because I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm uh, interviewing the CEO of some." top multinational you know fortune <laughs> 10 company it's like i gotta go i gotta it's like what and it's like he's, he's realized that everyone's accessible now and he's just gone around and not let geography be a barrier and and many of these uh you know top ceos who uh i was talking to adam Nowett, who is ceo of amphenol which is a large multinational company based in connecticut that makes electronic parts and and uh, he said, you know, he's open to, to doing, a, you know, coming and visiting a classroom of 20 students where he wouldn't be able to do it physically. But, you know, in a virtual world, he can make time out of his schedule. So you have access to these powerful insights that we didn't have before. Definitely. And it's good that you guys are realizing it and jumping on that. Yeah, everybody can just get on that um that Zoom call, no matter where they are. Absolutely. Yeah, Get someone from California or from the UK or wherever it is. It's just it's so familiar to us now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, just... But not everybody thinks of asking. And, uh, right. and and that's maybe the message for your listeners is go for it. Go, you know. Go for it. Knock on those doors. Knock Get... on the door virtually. And yeah. you're more likely to get a yes now than ever. Get on LinkedIn and... Um... 
connect yeah. with connect with whoever you yeah. want to talk to. I know recently, uh, Mukun and I were trying to get uh, Sal Khan, CEO of Khan Academy, uh, to to show ah, up to right. our event. And um, this is obviously a long shot, but I yeah. went ahead and just sent him a message. You know, yeah. it's he has his uh, free yeah. LinkedIn uh, messaging enabled, Perfect and you example. can message him whatever you want. And if he can, if he uh, checks his email and like you know is able to see uh, what you sent him, maybe it's it'll be yeah, uh, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, yeah. Good luck with that. In a, in a, <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know if he's actually gonna be able to get back. But, oh yeah, you know, um, he might surprise you. We'll but see. Yeah, send yeah. It I, I think it's come with a lot of surprises. I, I remember when you first told me that, and I was, I thought it was just you know out of the box idea. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, are you sure? This is a little ambitious. But um, I, I would say we're. Uh, it's an understatement to say that we would not be where we are today if it weren't for like all of that outreach mm-hmm. and for just just mm-hmm. going beyond our comfort zone. And yeah. oh, I, I think that's like the last year, at least for the Yukon community, if I want to put it into that perspective, I, right. I'm, I'm hoping that's what the students have right. have learned over the last year. Yeah. Well, this is great. And it's great for your learning, your growth, uh, you know, as young professionals and and, uh, and human beings to, to have these kinds of learning experiences. Um, you know, in some ways, your generation, uh, and I know you, you guys are graduating, I think, this uh, this semester, uh, this year, right, in semester. So um, is going to be one of the most resilient most adaptive uh, adaptive generations in history and it's because it's learned right you've you've had to adapt and and you're going to be adaptable to other things challenges that come along for sure um and i know uh, we were talking a little earlier about um uh, getting these connections uh which are not not only your peers but i know peers play a big role in in uh, uh mobilizing you mm-hmm. know like you to connect with these uh, officials mm-hmm. and trying to um uh, go on these creative ventures um so uh, many many UConn students know you uh, as a like a researcher, a mm-hmm. you know president. Uh, but uh, would you mind touching a little bit on your um, uh, peer mentorship? So how have you served as a peer mentor, sure. or, and how other people have helped you get to where you are today, and that kind of stuff? Oh, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean it. it, it takes me back to my undergraduate days, right? And um, when I was a junior, I became a peer mentor in in some of the uh, uh, first and second year classes that I had that I had taken. And um, so, uh, and I was also saved as a student many times by a TA or or a peer mentor who could explain things better to me, could could really get to my level better than perhaps a professor did. So, you know, it it, it goes both ways, and I th- you know, it's um, it's a two two way value proposition. I remember you know as a peer, you know, teaching is the really reinforces what you've learned in a way that nothing else can. You learn the material better when you when you're a peer teacher, peer mentor. And and that goes for content but also in terms of emotional support. So when you're a peer mentor who's providing emotional support for a peer, um, I think it's a, it's good for your wellness as well. And so it's it's a wonderful two-way street and um, there's no replacing it. There you know someone who can put themselves and has the empathy and the, the ability to put themselves in your shoes as a peer that it's just really hard for someone, uh, you know, at my stage to do, I, you know, a certain type of advice that peers, that only peers can give. Uh, and, uh, and so it's a really important part of, of the learning environment yeah. at, a, at, a, at a university like ours. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that speaks to UConn's um, student-led organizations, you know, mm-hmm. we're always helping each other out no matter yeah. what. 
Absolutely, yeah, and it, it's uh, UConn provides like so much support and, and so many resources, and um, I, I know for a fact that uh, UConn um, has like a lot of support for like its its um, mission, like its values in diversity, equity, mm-hmm. and inclusion as well. Um, and I just wanted to move into um, voices in leadership, specifically um, opportunities for people of color and underrepresented minorities mm-hmm. in our student population. Um, how does UConn, how does UConn support them and mm-hmm. what spaces does it make? Yeah, you know, our, our, the, the number of ways, um, you know, our, our cultural centers are, are specifically spaces um, for affinity groups, but, uh, you know, broadly across UConn, I'm, I'm really excited to see how, um, inclusive i think the leadership opportunities have been here in general and um, and you know, when i look at usg um a couple of things strike me if one of the first things that that struck me coming here um was uh the, you know, the broad uh backgrounds of of uh, majors that were represented so i'm going to go to diversity in a different sense first and then i come back to to what you had in mind uh, and I, I say that as an engineer, and I, you know I'm proud to be UConn's first engineer president, uh, and I hope I, I hope I don't screw it up so that I won't be the last. You know, <laughs> since, we don't want any more of those guys again. So, so um, uh, but when I came here, I met a couple of engineers who were in student government, and I got to say that there was a huge polarization at prior institutions that was that, and engineers almost never were involved in university-wide student government, and student leadership. So, so the first thing I observed was was a kind of pleasant surprise to see that, you know, uh, there was this. Uh, Broad inclusiveness of many different uh, majors and departments involved in in student student government and student leadership. Um, but then this, the second thing is um, you know how visible um, uh, people of color have been in student leadership roles. And um, uh, uh, when I came in and interviewed, I think it was Ama was the uh, was student body president, uh, and um, Priyanka was president last year. And Michael Hernandez is president this year, and, and you know all people of color, and and um, you know I, I think it's um, you know a, a great reflection of of um, how we value diversity, uh, you know how our students in particular value diversity at this institution. Absolutely, and and I think it's just great to 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 have those mentors to look up to, um, especially I know from. From, from my childhood, especially, it was really hard, like pinpointing a mentor that really aligned with my interests right. and um, had like a similar background to me. And right. especially now, like um, at UConn, I've really been able to. Um, I think when I look when I look at um, my mentors, they they're able to embrace like the vibrant talent right. in the UConn community. Um, yeah, you know, these students, you hit on a point, these students, it's much more than just their the specific leadership role that they play and what they do with their organization. It's the the role that they play as role models and mentors for others. I, I was talking to um, another one of our student leaders, Brittany Diaz, who's at our Hartford, Hartford campus, and she's played a, a leadership role in mental health and particularly served on her mental health task force. But when I was talking to her, she talked about the, the role that... Um, Previous leaders at, at UConn, particularly Kat, and I've forgotten her last name now, who graduated last year, she, you know, it's just like, you know, I can't believe that I looked up to these people and now I'm kind of playing the role they played. So you can hear it directly from students that um, the current generation of leaders is, is really creating the next generation here. 
that that's some really great insight. And uh, I just wanted to um, kind of like um, wrap up, you know, what we've talked about, like yeah. leadership development, um, being able to catalyze leadership in in everyday activities. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where I wanted to to project us now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think leadership is often, if you want to define it, right? It's mm-hmm. it's some people think of it as a role, or you know, mm-hmm. you need you need a position in a club. You need mm-hmm. to you know, you be president. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm sure you can relate to that. Yes. Uh, but I was just wondering how how can students normalize leadership into yes. everyday activities yes. inside the classroom, outside the classroom, through building relationships? All we've talked about. Yes. Um, yeah. Could you? Could yeah. You no. That, on that? No. I like that question. How can how can students normalize leadership? And I think that. The point is that um, one can be a leader uh, from the middle, from the bottom, from the top, from anywhere. It's a it's a, a mindset uh, uh, and, a, and a and a practice. Um, you know, my definition of leadership is um, is is really um, taking some sort of action that um, uh, that causes others to reinforce that action. Okay, that that's that's and and that if you think of that as leadership, then what you really need is an idea and a vehicle for communicating it. And with that definition of leadership, um, it really isn't about a position or a line of authority or anything like that. And there are many types of leaders, um, you know, ranging from the solitary genius who works in a lab as a hermit. <laughs> And um, writes a tome and publishes it, but it is so profound that it persuades, you know, the reading of that article leads a whole uh, uh, army of others to follow in that intellectual pursuit. I would argue that that solitary hermit is a leader. Absolutely. <laughs> right? So it, it, it's, uh, it's not specifically tied to charisma and large group gatherings or anything like that, though it may be, right? Mm-hmm. It, but it doesn't have to be. So if, if you think of it as an idea and a vehicle for communicating, then you can, then, um, you can lead if, if you, uh, you know, ima- create for yourself those two things. For sure, and, um, and, and it's um, it's like uh, leaderships, leadership in uh, different capacities. Um, like you know, we've interviewed uh, many leaders on campus, student, but student, exemplary, yes, student exemplary student leaders, exemplary student leaders on campus, mm-hmm. and um, they all come from very different uh, capacities of leadership. You mm-hmm. know, some are across various fields of discipline as well. Yeah, interdisciplinary yes. leaders. Um, some doing research, some starting a. Um, food insecurity program at UConn. Yeah, right. Some I mean, are yes. even just like uh, general members of organizations just, just trying to create a change. And, right. And that, that's, I think that's what, um, you know, when we were trying to capture that, we yes. wanted, we were like, these are agents yes. of change, right? Like, <laughs> right. I guess if you wanted to go into like the most like microscopic level, yes. right? A, a leader is an agent of change. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's exactly right. And, um, y- you know, Having a, an elected role, like a, you know, a student representative in, a, in an organization, does give you that communication vehicle. It does give you that platform. So it does help sometimes, but it's not necessary. The basic idea is to, to you can lead from anywhere, provided you have an idea and and a platform communication for communication. And and if you don't have an elected platform, then mm-hmm. then it, the challenge is on you to figure out what is that vehicle. And sometimes it's just being very articulate and expressing what it is that that uh, you're passionate about or you're trying to communicate. Um, and that 
that's all there is to it. That's some really amazing advice. And I'm sure I really hope that uh, a lot of incoming students, you know, whatever, wherever they see their passion leading them, mm-hmm. um, you know, they'll they'll be able to to take that advice and, mm-hmm. and really, um, you know, work work with UConn's like amazing supportive resources and, mm-hmm. and makes make a real change. Happen. And even even uh, reaching out to like the UConn students, especially the ones, you know, featured on our podcast, um, if they're able to reach out to anybody, you know, it's just so accessible. You can reach out to professors, um, seniors, sophomores, whoever, whoever you want um, mm-hmm. and get in, gain insight to uh, kind of follow your creative endeavors mm-hmm. that you have on campus. Yeah. So uh, we, we just wanted to thank you again, President yes. Katsuli. Well, well, I I just had an, one last question. Um, yeah. What, Go if, for it, what, is the, <laughs> what are we thinking about the, the senior graduations? Um, ah. Uh, yeah. ah. Okay. I see, I see what you did there, Vinayak. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I'm happy to share with you what our thinking is. I mean, uh, since you guys are in that senior class, we know how important uh, – you know, and it is to have in-person commencement if we, if we at all possibly can, and uh, uh, and to to celebrate the significant accomplishments that you've all made, uh, and to your point, how you've made UConn a better place uh, for the next generation of students to come after you, and we want to to uh, celebrate and acknowledge that. And so, uh, I started off down the path thinking that um, we would plan a virtual ceremony and an in-person ceremony. And when we reached a, the, the fork in the road where we couldn't keep going anymore, we would pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, it dawned on me uh, a couple months ago that actually, no matter, no matter what state we're in, we actually should plan on both ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And so that even if we're able to do something in person, we will also have a virtual ceremony. So we're right now we're planning the virtual ceremony, and that's for sure. We're also planning uh, in-person um, ceremonies that would be in tranches of about a thousand students max, and that mm-hmm. would be the most we could do in a in a physically distant, um, socially distant setting in say the in, in Rensselaer, which is the oh, which Rensselaer. is the which is the the place the venue that could accommodate that. So we're working on. On having both of those, and um, and we'll keep we'll keep working on both tracks until somebody tells us we can't, <laughs> right? So it, it may turn out that when we get there, we you know that the, that the in person doesn't it isn't possible. But for now, we're we're not going to give up until until it's absolutely uh, somebody somebody says no, you just can't, just stop, and so. We'll see how the how the disease evolves, and mm-hmm. uh, we'll definitely have um, we'll definitely have at least one ceremony, and we're hoping to have um, have a, a a hybrid with both. For sure, and we love we love that you have this contingency plan, and you guys are really pushing for both. Yeah, uh, you know, I, to... I you know as as we talk to to our deans and other leaders, you know, and they're all very supportive of this. We, we all realize that it would be easy, you know, as administrators to stand back and say, well, the easy thing to do is say, oh, it's, it's too, hard too hard to do in person. And I, I think we owe it to you to, to try harder than that. So we're going we're gonna to give it the college try <laughs> and uh, do all we can. And, and if we can do something in person, we'll also layer in um, an in-person ceremony for last year's class because they, you know, they, they didn't get the chance to, to be in person. So if we can do in person, there will be multiple ceremonies, uh, one after the other, mm-hmm. and um, including a ceremony for last year's class. Right. And we'll be able to accommodate everybody. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 
So that's, that's, fingers that's, crossed on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's really like uh, heartwarming to hear mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, how hard you all are working. And we really look forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just so, one last thing. Um, yeah. we, uh, just for our listeners, um, Mukund and I have, like we talked about it, we have the um, Yukon uh, Podcast Symposium planned yeah. um, taking place in about two weeks. It's on February 20th. Uh, we have an in-person kickoff. Uh, President Katsulius will be there himself. I will. And uh, we are very excited um, to to incorporate a hybrid model. We will also have all streams will be public. Um, anyone can access them. And on, on Monday, we have two very, very exciting professional panels. We have student podcasters, professionals uh, doing field work anywhere from from. DNA um, you know, analysis to to business strategy. We have just have all these like amazing like prolific individuals that are part of our event. So we're excited. We hope that uh, stu- students will be able to to take advantage of this and and find um, you know finding some something that really aligns with their curiosity and their interests. Great. Well, sure. I'm looking forward to being there live um, February twentieth. Twentieth. Yes. Looking forward to. We're also having free merch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, Good terrific. Well, That's thank you both for having me on your show, and thanks for your leadership and uh, entrepreneurship here, and being agents for change. For sure, and thank we you appreciate so you taking the time to. And we also wanted to just thank you, uh, was uh, to be able to help us um, you arrange know, this, record arrange this. this. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, very good of uh, WHUS to to have us, and it's great great to be in person with you actually even though we're virtual <laughs> with your listeners but it's nice to be in person and uh, physically distant with you here in the studio